0: Hello, listeners. Welcome to the US Department of State Global Innovation through Science and Technology, or GIST Innovation Talk, on ecosystem building. My name is Samir Youssef. I'm a program officer at VentureWell, the main implementing partner for the GIST initiative, and I'll be your host for today. We have a great panelist with us today for the GIST Innovation Talk, Murali Prasad of Sizzle Science. We're excited to have you today, Murali. For a little bit of background, Murali is the founder and CEO of Sizzle Science, a commercialization consulting company in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Sizzle Science is also a GIST innovation hub and was the in-country partner for the GIST Investors Malaysia program. Morali, thank you for joining us.
1: Sure. Thank
0: you, Samir. So
1: I started this entire journey from an entrepreneur point myself. I graduated with a mechanical engineering degree and um, I built my first startup that led to after four years of actually having the experience of becoming a founder of a a tech startup. uh, In 2012, I was exposed to the lean startup model for the first time. It gave me an idea of everything that I was missing. uh, Because when you're trained as a scientist, as an engineer, there's a particular way of thinking. A lot of founders from the sciences and tech- technology side, would, would have a similar way of thinking. Right? So, the lean startup model allowed me to see things or the mistakes that I've been making for the last, for, for, for a long period of four years. My second venture, which is actually a consulting company, was to actually help entrepreneurs and, and scientists and founders uh, and, and, and researchers in the country to commercialize their research because a lot of them were having a similar problem. So so that was CISL science back in 2012, 2013. Uh, We work very closely with universities and research labs and uh, extend our help to institutions that would actually
0: have commercialization issues. And you have a very interesting background in that you've had experience on the startup side, the entrepreneurial support side, and on the investor side. As you've kind of touched all the different aspects of a you know a thriving startup ecosystem and you've seen all the different stakeholders now from your perspective what are the most important aspects of a thriving startup ecosystem and how do they interplay with each other
1: yes yeah, so um, uh, I, I would say it has been an exciting journey because um, uh, in an emerging economy uh, for instance like Malaysia uh, the entire startup ecosystem or the blocks are not complete it's, it's fairly a new ecosystem. I would say there are four important elements that would um, be essential for any startup ecosystem. So the first element of building a startup ecosystem is having the research and science side of it intact. So uh, we are looking at the R&D outcomes that come up from university and science labs, because these would be the core of building a startup ecosystem. That has been pretty much uh, explored in uh, a lot of the economies, countries, uh, enable discoveries to happen. The second most important thing that um, emerging economies uh, would, would need is uh, the, the entrepreneurs uh, or the, uh, the rare kind of people who take up these technologies and build companies out of it. Usually, countries would pay attention to the first two elements. Uh, they would invest in the R&D so that you would have some level of R research output coming out and then they would in invest in building the entrepreneurs who would actually be able to take up these products out to the market. The third element, which is usually left unnoticed to a, l- a later point, and that has always been a challenge, is the funding element. Emerging economies, for example, Malaysia, a lot of this funding actually happens from the government end. Now, unless and until you transfer Send uh, funding from the government and, and start bringing in corporate fundings and private fundings together, individual fundings. Uh, until then, an imbalance in the funding ecosystem. Whereas uh, There are economies in, in in the more developed countries. Uh, in the U.S., I, I guess the transition happened pretty well. Uh, the initial funding would come from the government, but you actually had corporates and individuals make those investments, right? But I'm sure it has been a it's a it's, it's a long. Circle. It's the experience over many years building this ecosystem in, in Silicon Valley, for instance. The fourth element, and also an important element, is the entire population. It's the buying power of, of a particular economy. We can never compare the startup ecosystem uh, in different countries, um, apple to apple, because the size of the population, the appetite of the population is totally different. The buying power also means uh, the, the exits that might happen uh, through corporates and, 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 uh, and, and of that sort i wouldn't put them in in a hierarchy manner on 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 the most important to the least important i think all of them have equal importance to play right so it needs to be built simultaneously the problem that we have in a lot of economies is when you do not pay attention and and build this in parallel right so you have um for instance uh in a country where there's so much of emphasis given to building entrepreneurship but very little emphasis to to build angel investor circles right so so that needs to be in some sort of a balance in order for you to have a sustainable startup ecosystem
0: no that makes a lot of sense there there are four legs to the chair right and you have to make yeah, sure yeah. it's all balanced otherwise here you follow yeah. from that perspective you can really start to diagnose different entrepreneurial ecosystems and see, you know, if some of them aren't thriving or there's some evident challenges, you start to understand why they're yeah. there and hopefully try to yeah. make a more targeted intervention. And, and so speaking to that point, you know, you've had the unique experience that I think no other actually just partner has in that you've essentially engaged with us across almost all the initiatives. And, you know, as you know, the the GIST uh, program at large is really focused on those four elements that you mentioned and trying to see how we can engage and support and um, build them out to be more um, cooperative. As you think about the GIST initiative as a whole, you know, what are some of the most important elements and takeaways you think that the GIST initiative is providing to uh, the countries and the partners that we're working with? I would imagine and i've always uh,
1: challenged the concept of building startup ecosystems in silos Uh, we would never be able to build great economies or startup economies within a particular uh, country by itself unless those countries are huge countries example china could be um, its own startup ecosystem you know and it could survive by itself the u.s could be one by itself But leaving these two large um, countries aside, most of the other economies and small countries would never be able to build a a formidable startup ecosystem by itself. Um, There would need to be a, a potential of working together. And this is what GIST has enabled. I think GIST would be, to my best knowledge, the only governmental organization that is able to connect entrepreneurs across the globe uh, most of the agencies or governmental agencies that i am aware of and those in malaysia and i'm sure this is the pretty much the similar case everywhere else are mandated to build their startup, startup ecosystem from the inside therein lies the challenge it was an exciting experience when i was uh, in the u.s last year when I was able to see a room full of entrepreneurs from different uh, emerging economies, how each one of them were able to build something amazing. I, I guess the founders of GIST, or people who, who built the GIST model understood this that the next big idea might not be happening in the US. There are chances that it might be happening somewhere else
0: in the world. It should not stop us from connecting with those ideas. That is a great point. And I know that's something very intentional that, you know, the folks at the, the U.S. State Department really thought about and how can we increase collaboration and connectedness and make just that connective tissue that helps to catalyze a lot of the innovation and entrepreneurship. And and I have to say at the, um, the Just Investors Forum last year where it was you and, you know, uh, Tarek from Egypt and, you know, cool. Aaron from Vietnam, it was It was incredible seeing all of y'all in the room and just discussing much of the strategies and initiatives you've taken that are so close and aligned and just there's so much opportunity for collaboration that you know may have not been clear when when somebody said you know somebody who launched an angel network in malaysia can collaborate with an angel network in in egypt for instance and so that was was an awesome experience i just love just being in the room to listen to the conversations Um, and so pivoting a little bit toward angel networks and building angel investor ecosystems can you talk a little bit more about your process and what you went through uh, as you built angel networks in malaysia and you know what were some of the challenges but also opportunities that you saw it's a challenge
1: especially in a very young ecosystem it's almost similar to building a startup by itself Uh, it's never a plug and play the biggest challenge would be to convince the people in the ecosystem to believe in angel investments. And, and we, are, we are still learning, so um, that's where we are right now.
0: I applaud you, you're at, what, five angel networks now? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: uh, <clears throat> I try to shy away from those, uh, answering those questions. Uh, the reason is because uh, it is not the number of angel networks that we can, we can create, um, but it is the quality and the impact that you actually make. Right. It's almost similar to building a startup, right? it's, it's anyone can, can, can start a company. But how impactful and how uh, successful that company is is, is a question. So we have Angels in Science, which is an angel investment circle that would invest in science and technology startups. I would say that it, would, it is the only angel network in the country that specifically focuses in science mm-hmm. and tech. And then we have University Angels which is actually the country's first university alumni angel circle. And we plan to build more of these angel circles. It is important for each of these universities to have their own ecosystem of alumni who would be able to give back by supporting um, startups that come out from it. In the last six months, uh, uh, I I did not expect much of angel investment activities to happen. But what actually happened was uh, we collectively started making uh, writing our first check into a non-profit initiative. And I think that's an amazing indication of what this potential is all about. Because when, when we have people or members in the club who are able to make investments with absolute no return to them, it means that they are the right kind of crowd that you have to make investments in, 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 in startups that would actually be able to make money.
0: That's a really interesting point. And I, and I think the the element of of high net worth individuals putting money behind causes they believe in is a is a phenomenon they're way more comfortable and used to versus investing in a company and expecting a return especially for
1: early stage i think it's an important indication because chances of startups failing is just so high in the early stage um, when i kicked off the angel investment cycle um, in in malaysia we were scouting and looking out for the high net worth individuals would ideally make into the club but it doesn't necessarily be the case because high net worth individuals may not be people who are able to make those kinds of risks they, they they may not be able to take those risks right so and this is what one thing that i realized so an indication that people who are able to give back to the society right uh, i would i would define them as high net worth to me regardless of the size of check they will write and these are the people who will who actually be able to make the difference for the entrepreneurs in the longer run.
0: That's why you call them angels instead of investors yes, right that's, now. That's why
1: I Thank call you. them angels. That's why we call them angels. Yes. Uh,
0: so so pivoting a little bit toward um, you know your role as a supporter of, of startups and, and helping to provide training and, and mentorship. What advice would you give to other you know, entrepreneurial support organizations that are that are just getting started and are aiming to really start to engage in their ecosystem and help connect to and support uh, startups? It is not a plug-and-play world.
1: Right? We have to understand the missing elements within each ecosystem, and it's almost being building a startup by yourself. Right. Um, so we need to understand what's happening in in a specific ecosystem, connecting to the right group of people, and especially in ecosystems where the entire structure of the uh, the startup world is not completely built. You're you're not just connecting the dots. In some cases, you'll actually be actually be creating those thoughts or helping create those thoughts i would suggest the right thing to be to do is actually to have focus in in certain market spaces or industries and then build your circle from there uh, for a small country like malaysia we can't build a startup ecosystem uh from from a geographical point of view right i can't build an angel circle that would just focus uh, in kuala lumpur as how angel circles in the US would focus just in Silicon Valley or Boston or New York, right? That model will not work in Malaysia for a small country like Malaysia because the number of startups that you would be getting in a particular location or a particular state is just too small. Now, if I were to just take those models from the US and build the same, I'm actually limiting the, the, the chance of me investing in good startups. So we are seeing beyond Malaysia, we are looking into Southeast Asia, as a whole a larger entity a larger uh, space and i think when you increase that size of space but you focus on the industries for instance healthcare you have a better chance of finding um, successful startups or potentially successful startups to to invest Mm -hmm. in the people who are building these spaces the people who give this kind of support should be looking into the bigger picture and what fits your particular space, what fits your particular market. The Japanese startup system is completely different from the Korean startup system
0: or the Indian startup system. We have to work with the existing players and how we can actually complement. It makes a lot of sense. And um, you dropped a lot of knowledge on us right now. <laughs> and and um, you kind of just talked about the different elements of the entrepreneurial ecosystem and how they interplay and, and the importance of making everything kind of very be culturally competent. Uh, before we, you know, we sign off, do you have any final words just to, to share with the audience and those that are listening? Uh,
1: the business of entrepreneurship is an important part of uh, the world as we see it today. Um, I think COVID has dropped so much of light uh, as much as uh, the damage that it has co- causing the world. Uh, it is also teaching us that we are able to build things faster faster than anything that we thought we can possibly do. We are able to work together in remote spaces. I would say COVID is actually the actual disruptor. So it's actually disrupting the world. I I think that innovation often happens when there's chaos. One example that I would give in Malaysia is when the lockdown happened and the corporates were closed and the large corporates were closed, It was the entrepreneurs who were actually built to operate in a startup mode who actually were able to go out and make the impact, right? So they were making impact um, in an individual capacity. They were making impact from the startups they run in. But because we have been accustomed to manage chaos, to manage uncertainties, COVID
0: almost felt like um, that's how things are on a usual day for us. I know you're, you're iHub was very active in responding to the pandemic and specifically around mobilizing to get more hand sanitizers out to different parts of Malaysia. So if you could just share a little bit more about that uh, initiative, how it got started and where you are at now.
1: So that was that I I would imagine that as one of the most purposeful thing that I've engaged myself in. We mobilized six university labs uh, across Malaysia which were able to produce hand sanitizers for uh, a fraction of the cost of those selling the market and um, give it out free to the needy uh, who were not able to purchase hand sanitizers at the price they were selling right so it was ridiculously high i think that's the case everywhere Um, and through these six universities we were able to produce and in a very lean way able to produce um, close to about 40,000 hand sanitised bottles and because of the lockdown, we were not able to, uh, we were not able to travel between states. So we had mobilised universities in different states and each state had its own supply chain uh, network in place. How did this happen? I would have to thank GIST for it. Why? Because the six universities is actually part of a GIST network in the country. Right. And Malaysia is an interesting country. You know, uh, we have the peninsula, Malaysia, and then we have the Borneo where we have two other states and we are divided by the sea. Um, in a time when there were no shipments allowed, logistics were down between the two, two parts of the country. Uh, we were actually able to have our own initiative run in, in, in one of those states in Borneo and support Borneo by itself.
0: Well, I have to applaud you for that. That was, you know, an incredible initiative and it was just great seeing you mobilize all the different aspects within Malaysia to, to really get this done. And, and the volume of hand sanitizer you were able to produce in a very decentralized way is very impressive. So just really applaud the effort you took and, and your commitment to it. And we're glad that the GIST initiative could support in any way. Um, yep. and, and just to summarize some of the key points that I pulled out of your, your many comments. So first, you know, when you're thinking about, uh, What are the important elements of creating a thriving um, startup ecosystem? You know, the first is having a strong research and development space, right? And having a lot of science, innovation and technology and and investing in that early stage development. And then obviously the second most important thing is having the entrepreneurs that are able to commercialize that technology, right? And, And willing to take those risks. Funding is the third most important pillar. And that's not only, you know, public sector funding, which can help catalyze and start it, but, you know, it requires a lot of private sector you know, individuals, um, venture capital funds, venture, uh, corporate venture arms, um, and then finally, just the size and the buying power of the population within the within the country or within the region. And, and, you know, and that also includes those like large corporates that are potentially the exits for some of these startups. And the next piece around, you know, the value of the GIST initiative, really, it's, it's being that connective tissue across countries to help support and um, connect the entrepreneurs, the investors, the entrepreneurial support organizations um, to each other and see how they can leverage and support and and scale uh, alongside each other. And then in regards to, you know, angel networks, you can learn from the U.S. ecosystem, but you can't replicate it. And you have to really come in with a, a firm understanding of where the ecosystem is, where are the, the potential angel investors as far as their investment thesis and their investment acumen and their comfort, putting money behind early stage companies. And then as you talked about, you know, your advice to other entrepreneurial support organizations is identifying a niche, uh, whether it be geographic or sectoral, you know, really serving that market and then starting to scale from there. Cause it's not a plug sure. and play model, right? You have to tailor the resources, the support, the mentorship, and um, the programs to the <coughs> cultural context and the needs of the startups you're working with, especially when it comes to um, newer startup ecosystems. And then I um, actually want to close out with your final saying is just innovation happens in chaos. Um, we're yeah. finding new ways to engage, to innovate and to build. And it's been really exciting to, to see that. Um, so thank you, Morali, Thank you for joining thank us you. sharing your insights you so and your, your perspectives. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, To all those listening, uh, you know, we encourage y'all to check out the other GIST Innovation Talks and also visit www.gistnetwork.org to get additional information on our work. Thank you.